Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message from the Kalamazoo, Michigan campus. For more info on the church, visit newdaycommunity.org. I am the sermonator. <laughs> and it's wonderful. It's wonderful to be here. It's certainly a thrill. You're such a lovely audience. We'd like to take you home with us. We'd love to take you home. Some of you who have never met me are just going, oh, my God. Oh. So that was from an ancient album called Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. The, the, the Beatles. You've heard, you've heard of the Beatles. That was the band Paul McCartney had before he was in Wings. <laughs> you heard of Wings. Anyway. <laughs> Never mind. Okay. I, I, I come here and I find all the kids of the kids are, you know, huge and, oh, man. It's wonderful. It's, it's exciting. And I, I just am so grateful for the privilege of getting to be here and share with you and see you meet new folks and see old friends and it's just marvelous father would you please help me <laughs> i know you will because you're so gracious and you love your people and you want to give them something good and so i just invite you and i welcome you to let your spirit fill me bring my mind and my heart and all of me under your influence and let the life the spirit and life that is in your word come forth and uh, be living in your dear children here. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Woo. Well, I'm going to um, basically summarize what I shared in the first service and then try to get to some of the stuff that I didn't get in the first service. And if you really want to know that what I said in the first service, get the tape. There probably is one. Go to the website. I am so ancient. My, my wife gave me a birthday card for my 64th birthday. And uh, it was, you know, a little birdie told me that you had a birthday. It was a pterodactyl. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so, so anyway, here we go. What I'm, what I'm sharing, is uh, my launching point is Psalm 51, verses 12 and 13. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Woo! And uphold me by your generous spirit. And then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will be converted to you. And that's what we want, isn't it? We want to, we want to be able to see people who've been doing the wrong thing start doing the right thing. And being the right, you know, being what God wanted them to be in the first place. We want to see sinners converted. One key, not the only key. That's why there's, it's a series <laughs> to, to get this whole thing. But one key is restore to me the joy of your salvation. You know, and I was just thinking about sometimes, sometimes I have to say I, you know, there's scriptures that talk about break forth into song. Have you ever thought about literally doing that? Like, like you're just kind of walking down the street and just, 
oh yeah, you know. I, I think about musicals, like my favorite one is The Music Man and how, you know, hear these people in River City and then all of a sudden, oh, there's nothing halfway about the Iowa way. You know, and they just break into, that's breaking into song. You know, and I thought, wouldn't it be awesome if God's people just were so overflowing that we'd be going around in life and just break into song now and then. Yeah, and I, I am one of them. <laughs> Some, some people have that gift, but you know what? What all of a sudden, you know, I was kind of fantasizing about this, and all of a sudden I realized that, yes, the early church did it when they went into the arena. They went into the arena to give their final testimony. That's, that's why the word martyr became known as martyr, because originally it was just somebody who gave a testimony and a witness, but they... They did it unto death, but on their way in, they sang. They broke forth into song, singing for the joy of his salvation. Wow. So there is something about, you know, I, I don't want to trivialize this. There is something about being so full of him that come what may, the song of the glory of Christ, of the glory of the Father, of the wonder of his salvation pours out of us. So the key here is that the joy, joy doesn't come because we, you know, pump up, you know, the joy pump. Joy comes as a response to something else. Joy comes when we see the glory and the beauty and the wonder of our God. And so I was kind of, beginning to talk about that and I use this idea that sometimes I, in, I'm in California we, I get to go to the coast and th that's an ocean it's it's even more intense than the lake <laughs> the lake is nice because you can actually drink it if you really want to um, <laughs> but it doesn't have any whales in it but the ocean's got whales, man. Yeah. Laura came out to visit, and we took Laura up the coast, and she saw whales. She saw humpback whales lunge-feeding with about 200 sea lions all around them. Right, there was a cliff, and we were looking right down in the water, and they were right below us. Wow. <laughs> But here's the deal about that. When we found, you know, what, what brought us to that place? There were some people there, and, they, and, and we went along, and they said, look. And we went, whoa. And the next thing you know, we're saying, hey, come look, come look. Look down there. Whoa, you know. And everybody's, you know, and, and crowd is gathering there because we were seeing something so marvelous so excellent, so wonderful, that it was, it wasn't a matter of, we really should tell somebody else about this. <laughs> you know, this, this is our, our wailing duty, you know. This was so good, we couldn't help but want to tell, every, you know, Alma, we didn't actually go out and flag down cars, but just the fact that we were there made cars pull over. And what, what's going on here? Look, it's whales. Ah, you know, and that's, that's evangelism. Yeah. 
<laughs> that was telling the good news. So, so what I would like to do is kind of share in the next 20 minutes. <laughs> I shouldn't waste it laughing. Um, <laughs> on the other hand, that, that might be the best thing we could do. <laughs> Woo! Hey! You know, that kind of thing happens now and then. Okay. <laughs> I want to magnify the Lord. I want to magnify the Lord. I want to make him look bigger to every one of us so that in seeing the glory and the greatness and the beauty and the wonder of him, our hearts will respond with the joy of him and the joy of his salvation and the urgency won't feel like it's a whip that's driving us, but it's a compulsion from within. It's the same thing that was in Jesus that made him want to come here and even to get to the cross. Do you remember when Jesus said, you know, I, I've got a baptism to be baptized with, and I'm basically what he says, I can't wait for it to happen. And he was talking about his death, but it was something that was in him to do because that's what he was there for. And I believe that God is wanting to ignite that in us. So this does something to me. If And here's the thing. Is if, if it doesn't do something for you, thank you for just indulging me while I carry on. But you know what? God has something that will do it for you. There is a way in which the Holy Spirit will customize himself to your heart and fill you and reveal himself to you and do the thing in you that will set you on the fire that will be that unique fire in you. So if you want to join in and look through my telescope, you're welcome. And maybe it'll do something good. But if not, look through your own because out there is the most awesome, wonderful, glorious, beautiful Every, every superlative word there is, is not adequate for who our God is. Okay, so we're talking a little bit about God before the foundation of the world, okay? Because I like to go all the way back. <laughs> you can't go any further back than that because there never was a point where God wasn't. So I'm like, I'm at the in the beginning God and I haven't even created <laughs> okay, in the beginning, God, and here is this radical love, and we, I kind of left off with this, this radical love of the Father for the Son. Ooh, I love you. And the Son going, yes, I love you too. I'm so glad. The Son wants nothing more than to be the image of the Father, to reflect him. He doesn't want an independent life on his own. It's all about, it's all about Father. It's all about you. My food is to do the will of him who sent me. And this is something, this is something that I've, I've realized, and, and it's, it's kind of liberated me a little, is that God the Father gives his will to his son and to his sons, his children, not as a domination, not as you're going to do it my way because I'm God. He gives it to us as food. 
He gives it to us as a father would give bread to his children. He said, do you want to live? Here's some will for you to do. <laughs> you know, and my, Jesus said, as the father has sent me, and I live by the father, because I did not come to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So he who eats me, in other words, does my will, will live by me. See, but again, it's not, we tend to think, we project, maybe, our human experience of authority and kings and so on onto God. Okay? Now, certainly he is the king, but he's not a king who's like really into, <laughs> you know, I, th I thought about this and I thought about, you know, sometimes about, I, I realize sometimes I think, well, when Jesus finally comes back in his majesty and glory, you know, then that'll be cool, you know. And I'm realizing, you know what, when Jesus was on that donkey, that was great. He's not into big shiny robes and crowns and everything like this. He happens to be so glorious that that's the only images we can come up with. But it, it's not a, his ego to be the king like that. He is the childlike son, okay? God has revealed all the stuff about himself to babes, and Jesus had more revelation than anybody, didn't he? Kind of cool. <laughs> I, I wasn't planning on going here, but this is fun. <laughs> so here's father, son, and what about the Holy Spirit? Well, again, I got to tell you a little story here. Uh, some of you probably heard this one because it's old. But, but on the other hand, it may be so old that some of you haven't heard it. <laughs> um, there's this little kid, and he's down on the floor with his crayons and a big piece of paper, and he's just going like crazy, just all these colors and doing all this. His dad comes up and says, what are you doing? He says, I'm drawing a picture of God. And dad says, uh, well, that's wonderful, son, but... Really, nobody knows what God looks like. And the kid says, well, they will when I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes I feel like that little kid. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm reaching out and stretching out and pro, you know, probing to see what I can see and then try to communicate what I do see. And, and I'm drawing a picture of God. <laughs> you know, And I realize, okay, yes, the, the humor of that little story is that we recognize the absurdity of being able to capture God in a picture. And in a sense, any word picture, totally inadequate. And I know this. But you know what? I've noticed about parents. Their kids draw these little pictures of mommy and daddy. And frankly, the thing on the paper does not bear a real strong resemblance to the actual human being that it's supposed to represent. But there's something in there. Mommy maybe has a great big smile. Right? Daddy maybe, I don't know what about, <laughs> no, no, you know, there's, there can be something about daddy. He's got a hammer in his hand or something like that, right? Be because, because the kid knows something about mommy and daddy 
and it's conveyed in this thing that, yeah, any, you know, if we want to be rational about it, that's totally inadequate. On the other hand, it does communicate something. And you know what? Mom and dad love those pictures. And they take them and hang them on the fridge. And they go, my kid drew that. See, that's me. <laughs> and sometimes I feel like my heavenly father takes even my little scribbles. And I go, this is God. God showed me this. And this is what he looks like. And he goes, Kenny drew this. Sticks us up on the refrigerator. And, you know, it's there for a while. Because God's got a huge refrigerator. <laughs> but, so anyway, I got, I've been seeing this thing about the Holy Spirit. I'm just going to share it with you. I may have shared it before, like three years ago, but you've probably all forgotten. <laughs> I started thinking about the Holy Spirit. And the word spirit, both in Hebrew and in Greek. In Hebrew, the word is ruach. In Greek, pneuma. Both of them actually have, like, the basic meaning is movement of air. Of course, you have to understand that the ancients did not know there was air. Okay? All they knew was that something moved that you could not see, and it had an effect on things. And they, so they called it the wind, or, or the Hebrews called it the ruah. The Greeks called it the pneuma, the wind. But then they noticed that with animals and with humans, there was a movement of this invisible something. Can't see it. But you know what? When it's going on, that thing or the person is alive. And when it stops, they're dead. And they called that thing, that ruah, and they, they added a meaning to it, which we call spirit or breath. It actually was breath first, and then it was spirit because it was, it was just that literal thing. And then it became that invisible part of the person that makes them alive. Okay? So if you, if you will, we want to look... And this is important, okay? When we talk about God as Father, we are not projecting onto him some human issue. You know, like, well, you know, Cameron's a father, and, and he loves his children, and so we can see that God might be like a father and love his children. It's the opposite. Fatherhood exists in the creation because fatherhood is essential to the reality of what God is, okay? Likewise, the breath, the spirit that is what is, could be equated with our life, if you want to put it that way, we're not projecting spirit onto God. Spirit exists, wind exists, air exists in the world and moves in the world because there is a movement in God that rightly deserves the, the, the label pneuma or ruah. What is the movement? Okay, now this is where, this is my little picture. It's not the whole picture, all the disclaimers, but you know what? I see the Father 
breathing love to the sun. And I see the sun inhaling and receiving the love of the Father. And I see the sun breathing back to the Father his love. And I see the Father inhaling the love that the Son reflects back to him. And this constant back and forth, constant flow of love between the two is alive. It's not just a thing. This is he. This, this himself is the Holy Spirit, the Holy Pneuma, the Holy Ruach, the Holy Breath of God. And this, see, seeing this has made a whole difference to me with the idea of being filled with the Spirit. It's not just a matter of, you know, feeling electricity and, and talking in tongues, which I love both of those things. But what does it mean that I am full? It means that I am receiving the love breath of God. And I am loving him back as his, as his kid. See, the Bible says the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who is given to us, right? I used to read that, and I, I have to say, I, I wondered, okay, the love of God. What does that mean? The love that God has for us? The love we are to have for God? Because both of the love of God could mean either of those things. It could also mean the love that God has for other people, for the lost. For, you know, what does it mean? It's all of it. It is the love that God is shed abroad in our hearts. So it's the love of the Father that we receive. It's the love of the Son that we reflect back. It's the love of God to the world. This is what it means to be filled, to be baptized, to be immersed in his love. Woo! Is this helping you? This is my little picture, and I like it. And I hang it up on the refrigerator of God. So, <laughs> okay, we've got five more minutes to do the, the per eternal purpose of God. <laughs> That's all right. This is better than I used to do. I preached one time on arise, shine, because your light has come. I got as far as arise <laughs> in the first hour. <laughs> so, it's amazing if there's anybody still here. <laughs> okay, we're going to go fast. We're going to go fast. Whoa, I think. I don't know. We might not get anywhere. Oh, okay. The writer of Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10, you, know, you can turn there if you're fast, but he just, he says something, and he just throws this little phrase out there. Like, it's not even his main theme, but it's like, Bam, you know, this one hits me between the eyes. He says, uh, it talks about God in bringing many sons to glory. You know, he, he made the, and I'm like, wait a minute. What did you just say? Because this gives us a hint of what went on before the foundation of the world in the communion of the Godhead. The father loving the son, the son loving the father, and it being so good the communion of the Holy Ghost is going on, and God says, you know what? This is so good. Let's multiply it. Let's have many sons. Many sons. See, I believe that God decided on many sons way before man was created, let alone before man fell. God wanted many, many sons. And in that, 
you know, he talks to Jeremiah, and he says, before you were born, I knew you. When did he know Jeremiah? Was it like the week before? No, it's, it, it, I believe it goes all the way back to the foundation. God is saying, I invented you. And I think every one of us needs to hear this. You are an invention of God. <laughs> You're a figment of God's imagination. <laughs> okay, but God has a really good imagination. And what he imagines comes to being. But you have to understand that when you... When you came into existence, no matter how you came into existence, whether you were planned, whether you were unplanned, whether you were a surprise, it doesn't matter. You came into existence because in the eternity past, God himself invented you with your uniqueness, with your unique characteristics, with the, the, the things about you that aren't like anybody else. You know, I have a reputation for being unique, but... I'm you. I love the things. Is you're unique, just like everybody else. <laughs> you know, God imagined you. And maybe I'll end up with this because I need to end up. <laughs> I'm just waiting out here. And woo. My sister had a birthday. Sometime, she has one almost every year. But. <laughs> Sorry. I, uh, I, you know, I wrote her a little card, and, and I, I felt actually inspired when I wrote it, and I've realized that, that what I put in that card was not just for her, but for everybody. And it was, I put in there, I'm glad you were born. God, before the foundation of the world, God decided that neither time nor eternity would be all that he wanted without you. Can I say that again? Because that's really good. Before the foundation of the world, God decided that neither time, that means all of human history, including your history, Neither time nor eternity would be all that he wanted without you. That is good news, isn't it? That is really good news. And see, this, this, this is not, this is kind of regardless of sin. Now, the fact that people are in sin meant that God had to do something about it in order to have what he wanted. He wants his many sons, and he's not going to let hell or high water keep him from having the sons that he wants. So God, see, and I, I just got to say this, I, three minutes, five minutes, hey, who knows. <laughs> anyway, I'm, I'm going to go fast. But the other, the other little clue we have of his purpose is in uh, Ephesians 1, 9, and 10, and again, I'm not going to. I'm just going to refer to it, but you can look it up later. But it says that, that God, according to his eternal purpose, which he purposed in Christ, that in the fullness of times he would gather together in one all things in Christ. Okay, again, that was prior to the fall and regardless of the fall. 
Have you ever thought about the fact that even if mankind had not fallen, the sun would have become human? I know that shocked me when I first heard it. But I thought about that because, see, God, God, this is just amazing, I think. God has decided to unite himself with his creation in the person, in the, in the, in the, the, the vehicle of human, humanity. Do you realize that right now a human being is on the throne of the universe? Okay? Because Jesus is still human. He says there is one God and one mediator between God and man. The man, Christ Jesus. Forever and ever. See, the incarnation isn't something that God kind of slipped into some human clothes went around and did his thing, and then left the human clothes and went back to just being God. Something happened when God became man. Because there's this, this, naturally there's this gulf between the creator and the creation. But in Christ, they're brought together. May I suggest, this is just, this is my little thing, and I'm just going to throw it out there. It'll be corrected in time if it needs to be. I think this has something to do with the marriage of the Lamb. I think this has something to do with God. See, because the, I, I know that, especially for us in our culture, there's a lot of, you know, the romance feelings, and those are great and everything like this. But in the Bible, a lot of times when it talks about marriage, it talks about the two shall become one. We are bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. And this is a mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church, Paul said. Okay? See, and there's a uniting. And, and okay, God has taken human nature, and then you know what he did? He said, through the gospel are given to us great and precious promises that by these we might become partakers of the divine nature. That, that God takes us on, and then he gives us himself and in us, again, the uncreated, eternal God is united with the creation. Okay? This is the purpose. This is, and his salvation, his salvation is when that purpose that he has is fulfilled. And I'm gonna, I am going to finish off with this one, I think. <laughs> No, really, I intend to. I don't believe that salvation is just a matter of being forgiven for sins, though I really am glad to be forgiven for sins. Okay? Love it. I don't even believe that salvation is just about being justified and having righteousness imputed to me. I really appreciate that, and I don't want to minimize that in the least. makes me feel good that just as I am without one plea but that thy blood was shed for me, I can come, okay? But you see, what God has decided, has, has in his mind is something better. He says, it's written in a certain place, I think it's actually in Ephesians, in Romans. It says those that he knew, you know, he chose and, and this, but he says he predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son. And what that means is by the time God gets done with us, we are going to love the Father just as Jesus loves the Father. We are going to 
obey him as absolutely and completely and without reservation as Jesus. We are going to be as pure in our thought, word, and deed as Jesus. That is, I believe, the glory of which we have a hope because Christ is in us. This is, to me, his salvation. This is my hope. And the joy that that brings up makes me want to tell some people about it. Can we lift up our hearts? Father, wow. You are so astoundingly wonderful and excellent. And we are so very, very grateful. (sighs) Yeah. That, whoa. (sighs) That you chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. That we should be holy and without blame before you in your love. You have predestined us to, to the full possession of sonship by Jesus Christ to yourself. Father, let this so burn in us. Let the amazement and the wonder and the excellence of what you have done so work in us that, that the joy that's in us is contagious and that we're able to share it with, with everybody around us. And we thank you for it, Father. Words are totally inadequate. Even our whole lives given to you are totally inadequate. But all we can do is is say, here we are, and thank you. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen.